one of Ernest Hemingway's short stories is this short story called The Capital of the World. There's this really brief and incredible aside that Hemingway makes. Uh, he tells a story of this, just this little aside about a father coming home or coming to Madrid looking for his estranged son, uh, Paco. And he's looking for him and he comes up empty. And so in this act of desperation, the bereft father takes out an ad in the newspaper and it's a short ad where he says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And when the father arrives at the hotel at the appointed time, he cannot believe his eyes because a crowd of 800 young men, all named Paco, await his arrival. Every one of them anxious for a clean slate. And this reveals a fundamental reality of the human condition that we all need and we all long for forgiveness. Um, there's a show that aired on FX a number of years or a handful of years ago called Sons of Anarchy, and there's this character on it named John Thomas Teller, and he was talking about how he chose to live this life where he he ch he deliberately chose to avoid what he called the basic human graces, and he says this in the show. He says, "I realized that in my downward spiral spiral of hopelessness, I was actually falling into the huge hole created by my absence of basic human graces. The most obvious was forgiveness." If I was wronged by anyone, in or out of the club, I had to be compensated, money or blood. There was no turning the other cheek. When relationships become a ledger of profit and loss, you have no friends, no loved ones, just pluses and minuses. You are absolutely alone. We all need, we all long for forgiveness. Um, a woman named Marganita Lasky, who is a, a well-known British secular humanist and novelist, she died in 1988, and in a televised interview before she died, a few months before she died, she admitted this in an interview, um, secular humanist, and she said this. She said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. I have nobody to forgive me. This semester, if you've been with us, you know we've been reading um, some of the parables that Jesus told, and parables are stories that Jesus used to teach some deeper truth about who he is, about who we are, about the nature of his kingdom. And um, tonight we're going to look at a parable about forgiveness. So if you want to um, turn to the back of your bulletin, it's printed on the back there. I'm going to read this for us. Uh, this is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true and is given to us in love. <laughs> then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed, owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity... The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had been taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. So what we have in the story is that Peter approaches Jesus and he asks them, he says, so, so this is going to happen, right? I'm going to sin against, or my Christian brothers or sisters are going to sin against me, and I'm going to have to forgive them. So um, how many times do I have to do it? Do I have to do it seven times? So why this number seven? Maybe, perhaps Peter was showing off, like seven was a big number to him. He's showing off in that. Um, and in the Bible, seven is a number of completeness. So to say seven, he's saying like the... It's like a number that means perfection or something's complete. And so he's saying, um, he's saying it's, it's, this, it's this complete number. And then Jesus responds with this extravagant number, 70 times 7. And 10 is another complete number in, in the Bible, another number that signifies completeness or perfection. So he's saying 7 tens times 7. Um, perfection times perfection times perfection. Jesus is saying that's how many times you need to forget. And he's saying, do you remember as a kid when you would be like, I can do something infinity times, and then the other kid would say, well, I can do infinity plus one. And you're like, oh, man. Um, that's what Jesus is doing. That's what 70 times seven is. It's Jesus' infinity plus one. Jesus is saying, don't even count. When someone comes to you and they ask for forgiveness, you are to be ready and willing to extend it. Not just seven times, not just seven times a day, but to have a heart that is ready to forgive, that puts no limit on the willingness to forgive. So what is Jesus doing here with Peter? What he's doing is he's dismantling Peter's scorekeeping. Jesus is saying, Peter, your heart needs to be transformed by your realization of how much God has forgiven you. Jesus is telling Peter he must be ready to forgive as long as he is sincerely asked to forgive. And this is hard stuff that Jesus is asking. Peter knows it's difficult. That's why he says to Jesus, I mean, how many times do I have to do this? Because if you've ever had to forgive someone in your life, you know that it hurts to forgive. Like, Jesus knows that it hurts to forgive. Like, he knows that it costs us. And so Jesus lays down this general rule for us that we ought to forgive to infinity plus one. There's no scorekeeping. And then he tells this parable. Um, and this parable is really about the spirit of forgiveness. It's, the, it's about the power to forgive others and then it ends with this warning against being unforgiving. What Jesus is teaching in this parable is he's saying that our ability to forgive others is inextricably connected to our knowing and experiencing God's forgiveness for us. That it's only when we realize how much God has forgiven us that we are then able to go and give others costly forgiveness, to give others the costly, give them costly mercy. Now, sometimes I know that forgiveness or mercy doesn't cost us very much, right? Sometimes a friend, maybe a friend has sinned against you and they come to you and they confess and they say, I'm so sorry that I did blank. And, and you never thought about it. Maybe you didn't even notice that they'd done this. And um, so you respond something like, oh, thanks for telling me. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I didn't, I didn't feel it. It didn't hurt me. Um, I love you. Thanks for, for bringing that to me. Um, but there are other times when someone sins against you and you're deeply wounded. Right? Deeply wounded by what someone has said to you or has done to you. So wounded that when they come to us and they say, I am so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm not just apologizing. I'm not just saying I'm sorry. I'm saying that what I did was wrong. And I'm beginning to see how hurtful it actually was. I want to change. I repent. Like when someone comes in that posture, even, even then sometimes the hurt is so great that we're just not ready to extend forgiveness so quickly. 
It hurts so much to say it. All we can manage to say, like even if we can manage to say I forgive you, you know, we can still be holding back in our hearts. And it's in those circumstances, in those circumstances, we need to ask the question, what is it that enables Christians to forgive? And that's what Jesus is addressing in this parable. He's getting at the heart of what it is that enables us to forgive. And then he gives this warning to those who are unwilling to forgive. And here's what he's saying in the parable. Jesus is saying only a full, a full realization of the mercy of God in Christ can enable us to forgive and to show mercy to our brothers and sisters who have wounded us. So let's walk through this parable. Um, it begins with this king who has a servant, and the servant is, he's sort of a financial administrator for the kingdom. He's like the kingdom CFO. He's somehow got access to this great amount of wealth in the kingdom. And he's responsible in some form of administrating this wealth in the kingdom. And for, for whatever reason, he's accrued this tremendous debt to the king. So not only is he debt, he has this debt of 10,000 talents. Um, and so this is a little difficult for us to translate because we don't exchange money in talents. But 10,000 talents of silver, um, I learned, is about 204 metric tons of silver. So it's the equivalent of 30 T-Rexes. Uh, it actually is. Um, two great blue whales. It's as heavy as a big house. Um, like that's how much silver is required. Uh, today, this would require someone, or, or then it would require a day laborer, someone who gets paid just for their, their work every day. Um, it would take them 164,000 years to repay. Um, this is a roughly $10 million of debt. So the average day laborer in Jesus' day working his entire life and not spending of any of what he had made would have earned maybe 10 talents total. And Jesus is talking about someone who owes 10,000 talents. So now assuming that this administrative assistant, this administrative servant made 100 times what the average day laborer made, that means he'd only make 1,000 talents in his lifetime. So it would take him 10 lifetimes to repay this debt. Right? He could never hope to repay this debt. And Jesus is setting the debt so high to say that there is no one, there's no way this guy could repay this debt. It's not even a, uh, um, a category to be had that he could possibly repay it. And this is why the king takes this serious step in this parable of saying to him, because of this debt, you, your wife, your children, all of your things need to be sold into slavery um, as reparation because of this massive injustice you've done to me in defrauding me of this money, right? This is the king's money that somehow this servant has defrauded him of. Right? So the servant falls on his knees before the king. He begs for mercy. And the king, who's about to sell him and his whole family into slavery, he has mercy on him and he forgives him the debt. And in hearing this story, our expectation is then that the servant, right, having this incredible debt that he could never pay, forgiven, that he would be filled with joy, that he would be excited and relieved and jubilant, Right? We'd expect his heart to be changed, for his entire life to be reoriented because of this experience of incredible mercy from the king. Um, and his debt is forgiven, right? But he's still broke. And what does he do? Well, he immediately goes and finds another servant who owes him money. This guy owns a 100 denarii, which is like four months' pay for a day laborer in Jesus' day. Right? It would take maybe two or three years of diligent work and saving to pay that money back. So you can imagine this unmerciful servant who was not only broke, but a few minutes ago was $10 million in debt. He'd be looking for every resource he could to, to take care of his family, right? He's, he needs to get his life back together. He's, so he goes and searches out this debt. 
And we get this. We get that he's looking for money to support his family. But we don't get how he could be so cold and so callous to this, this other servant in light of what has just been forgiven for him. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to you and to me that this man did not realize what he deserved. Right? He deserved. Jesus is saying in this parable that this man deserved to be sold into slavery. He deserved to be punished in this extreme extent. He deserved condemnation. But he received mercy. And he showed no mercy in return. And Jesus is putting this parable before us as a picture to show us what we owe God. Saying that those sins which our brothers and sisters may perpetrate against us cannot match the sins we've committed against God. That the amount owed by the servant's servant was one six hundred thousandth of the amount that the servant owed the king. That's Jesus' point. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter when Peter asks how often we must forgive. Jesus responds by saying to him, by giving this parable and saying, Peter, how much are you in debt to God? How much do you owe God? And that's a great question for us. Like, how much do we owe debt God? What is our debt to God? Well, the Bible tells the story that, that God made humans in his image, that we bear the image of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we bear his image, and that he gives us this incredible purpose, that as humans we are designed to glorify him, to, to reflect, to show the world his glory, and to enjoy him, to have all of our satisfaction and our longing and our joy met in him, found in him, rest in him. And by using a financial analogy here, Jesus is helping us to see just how grievous our sin is. That when we live for our own glory, when we enjoy the things that God has given us more than God himself, when we say, not thy will be done, but my will be done, he's saying this isn't just a bad choice, but this is cosmic treason against the king of the universe who made us for himself, and it puts us in a debt that we cannot pay. Um, there's a confession of sin that the Anglican Church has been using for 400 years, and it says this. It says, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Both the active things that we have done and the, and the things that we have been complicit in um, or the things that we have not done that's, that's required of us. Like we are responsible both for our sins of commission and our sins of omission, both the done and the left undone. And that puts us in a debt that we cannot pay. We're responsible to God for it all. And so when you feel an injustice, like when you feel that someone has wronged you, when someone has sinned against you, when someone has hurt you, when you've been sinned against, Jesus is saying that that's one six hundred thousandth of your debt to God. And God has forgiven you in Christ. Jesus is saying, Peter, in light of that, in light of the mercy that you have received from your loving Heavenly Father, How then will you love others? Will you love them in a stingy way? Or will you love them in a lavish, extravagant way? The way that the Father has loved you. Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't care how deep the wound is. The wound you have received cannot compare to the sin that you have committed against the Father. Which the Father has freely forgiven you. Therefore, having been freely forgiven, you must make a practice of freely forgiving. Gratitude is always the motivator for forgiveness. Jesus is saying to us, he's saying, look, if you're a Christian, this is what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy, but I'm saying this. If you will remember how much you owed to God and how much God paid, then you will find the resources to be able to bear the cost of forgiving others. So let me ask you this question. Um, who has wounded you? Think, to, think for yourself with me. 
Who has wounded you? Who has accrued a big debt with you? Like it's maybe someone in your family, um, parents or siblings, or maybe somebody here on campus, right? That person that you don't talk to anymore, that person who won't talk to you anymore. How much would it cost to forgive that person? Now, I want you to hold the, I want you to hold the face of that person in your mind, this person that it's so hard to forgive. Hold the face of that person in your mind with all of the pain and the anger and the woundedness because it's there and it's real. And holding their face in your mind, can you hear Jesus? Think how much you owe the Father and look at Jesus. Look at his wounds he received on your behalf, his scar-borne hands. Look at the pain that he bore in his body so that you might be forgiven. His dying words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His love for you, his great love for you, that he loves you so much that he has taken your sin and cast it into the ocean of his forgiveness and put up a sign that says no fishing allowed. Friends, our sin is far greater than we ever imagined, right? 10,000 talents. And God's word to you in Christ is forgiveness. All is forgiven. Come home. Now think again of that person, the person you held in your mind. Can you forgive them in this life? Now the final thing that Jesus teaches in this parable is a warning. He gives us this warning in verse 35. And it's a warning similar to other warnings that Jesus gives in the Gospels. And what he's doing here is he's teaching that a soft heart, a heart of mercy, is an essential mark of saving grace. A merciful heart is the first sign of a person who has realized God's mercy to him in Christ. He says this in verse 35. So my heavenly father will do the same to you if you do not forgive a brother, his brother from your heart. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. That's not what he's saying. Here's his point. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you have received in your heart the grace of God, when you know the the debt of sin that you cannot pay and you receive the forgiveness of God in Christ, when you look to Jesus in faith and believe that he lived the life that you should have lived and he died the death that you deserved, and when you experience the forgiveness of your sins and you're justified by his grace, then he will transform your heart to be merciful to others who have sinned against you. For as the Father forgave you in your great offense, you're then enabled to forgive others in their small offenses. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, oh, first of all, we're so glad that you're here. Um, and a question I, um, I invite you to wrestle with, I really want you to wrestle with, is this. Do you want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living is possible? Do you want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living is possible? Or do you want to walk timidly through life hoarding the meager resources you have, disconnected from the love of God? And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying when God's forgiveness transforms your heart, your heart becomes forgiving. A person who sees the greatness of their sin and the greatness of the Savior is led to be generous and full of forgiveness. So how deep does this go? How deep does this go? How deep are the resources of the gospel for forgiving others? Um, I want to close by, by telling you this story. Uh, there's a woman named Corey Tin Boom who um, has a book that was written about her life named the, called The Hiding Place. And she was a Dutch woman uh, who lived during World War II. And she, uh, she's a Christian, and she hid Jews in her house uh, during the Holocaust. And then she was actually found uh, by Nazi officers. And then she was thrown into a concentration camp. And she survived. Um, she survived 
that. And after World War II was over, she traveled around Europe telling her story, sharing the gospel with people. And here's a story that she tells. Uh, she says, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were, fi- people were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where our forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take out my hand, rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face-to-face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raven's book in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I who had received forgiveness daily for my sins, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I would ever have to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus helped me, I prayed silently, 
I can lift my hand, I can do that much, you supply the feeling. And she writes, so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I cried out, she says, I cried out, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he not only forgives them, he makes them as if they had never been. In closing, I just want to end with the, the quote that I read you um, from the beginning, from Maganita Lasky. And she says, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. And friends, this is the cry of our neighbors. They have no one to forgive them. May our forgiveness, may our forgiveness be infinity plus one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the good news of your gospel. That um, though we had a debt that we could not pay, you and your grace have paid it. Um, Jesus, thank you, and thank you that the life you call us to is a life of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for us, for me and my friends here. Um, Lord, there are deep wounds that we carry that you know and you uh, care deeply about us. And I pray that you would help us um, give us strength and courage to forgive those um, who have sinned against us, that um, your glory might fill the earth as far as the curse is found. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If y'all will stay, we're going to sing one more song.